Hey everyone, we're looking to add a new member to our engineering team. Ideally, we're looking for a senior level mechanical design engineer in the Phoenix area who has experience designing custom automated machines, equipment, and test fixtures. Also, having working experience with controls and system integration is a plus. If you'd like to apply or suggest someone, please email us at info at testfixturedesign.com. The Being an Engineer podcast is a repository for industry knowledge and a tool through which engineers learn about and connect with relevant companies, technologies, people, resources, and opportunities. Enjoy the show. I'm going to pick my next job based on location and the company and less about the job itself. And so I had been to Flagstaff before, met some people, ran into a couple of engineers, and then I found out about Gore. And so I started learning about Gore, and I thought, this is a company I would want to work for. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Being an Engineer podcast. Our guest today is Elizabeth Millette, who holds a bachelor's degree in industrial technology and has worked at W.L. Gore for over 10 years, first as a, a process engineer, then lead engineer, industrial engineer, manufacturing manager, and currently as a supply chain manager. Elizabeth, thank you so much for uh, being on the show with us today. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. Good. I've been excited for this conversation. Um, we're we're going to jump into some questions, but before I do, I wanted to talk a little bit about the company at which you work, WL Gore, because it's going to be a focus for a lot of our conversation. Um, and, and I wanted to provide just a little bit of background. I've I've been curious about Gore's unique organizational and, and management style for several years. And, and so I was really thrilled when you agreed to you know, share about those ideas with me on the podcast. Um, for, for those of you who aren't familiar with the company, W.L. Gore, it was founded by Bill and Vive, Genevieve, I think was, was her name, Gore back in 1958 in their basement in Delaware. And Bill was a former DuPont research chemist who he was interested in pursuing market opportunities for fluorocarbon polymers, especially uh, polytetrafluoroethylene, or PTFE, as most of us know it. Gore has gone on to become a, a market leader in many industries, and while its technical achievements are great, equally impressive to me anyway, and I think to a lot of people, is the unique and successful organizational culture that Bill Gore created around individuals and small teams within the company. Uh, Gore has been described as a place that believes in every individual and encourages experimentation, healthy risk-taking, personal growth and development, and shared ownership for success. A place where, in Bill's own words, we make money and have fun doing so. Gore has innovated in many areas, including high-performance fabrics, implantable medical devices, industrial manufacturing components, and aerospace electronics, and shares that their innovation is possible because of their focus on teamwork and direct communication rather than chains of command. And for those of you who are frequent listeners of the Being an Engineer podcast, you'll know that my ears tingle when I hear phrases such as focus on teamwork, direct communication, and minimizing chains of command. So without further ado, let's jump into the show. 
Elizabeth, can you tell us a little bit about why you decided to go into this technical field of engineering? Um, just give us a little bit about your background. Yeah. Um, so I grew up in a really large family and everyone uh, had, was in like the arts of some kind. My father was a teacher, uh, drama and performing arts for more than 30 years. And so I had a lot of artistic background and I didn't even know I was interested in the sciences until I got to college. Um, my major was business at the time and all of my friends, I was going to Cal Poly uh, in San Luis Obispo. That's where I grew up. And all my friends were engineers, and I was looking at the classes they were taking, and it was so much more interesting than my business degree. <laughs> and so I started going more technical, and I had a really hard time transitioning colleges at Cal Poly, so I couldn't actually get into the College of Engineering. So I did the most technical degree in the College of Business, which was industrial technology. Oh, and interesting. It was, and it was actually this – it was – kind of a blessing in disguise, to be honest, because it was a really great mix of business and engineering. So I was, you had to take all your physics and math classes, but, in, but the upper level engineering classes were filled in with um, manufacturing processes, um, accounting and finance, which are really helpful as well. Um, how manufacturing processes work, there was a big focus on quality and lean manufacturing. And so I got kind of a little bit of everything, came out of school as a manufacturing engineer, um, most closely aligned with that in the industry, at least. So I started out um, in aerospace, and aerospace was a heavy um, recruiter from Cal Poly, and I was doing liquid rocket engines for Rocketdyne. Um, as a development manufacturing engineer, and I loved it. I really thought I had my dream job out of college. I felt like I was working with the, most, the smartest people I have ever worked with in my life. Uh, I won't say still to this day because that might <laughs> be not so nice, <laughs> but um, incredible work. I was solving difficult problems. I felt like well, I was. What kind of problems were you solving? Um, how to put stuff together. I mean, I was doing less design. I was a manufacturing engineer. So it was really taking the design engineer's design and trying to, and, and making it. Yeah. Cost, right. Yeah. Um, so from the time the raw material hit the dock to the time that my sub assembly went to the next sub assembly, I was doing the main, in, the main injector. So my, uh, the main injector made it with the main combustion chamber. And so I did the entire injector. That's so valuable to be able to start your engineering career in manufacturing, right? Start kind of start at the end, see how everything's made and figure that out and then yeah. go, I don't know, up the chain, so to speak, into the design portion of engineering. Yeah. Yeah. I love, I love manufacturing still to this day. Um, but the recession hit, uh, right? So space exploration was a big passion of mine and I was very much, I mean, I was very excited about, space exploration. I used to want to be an astronaut. I was just, I'm, you have to have like a master's degree or PhD for the most part. And I'm not an academic. I, I'm really good at working. I'm not as good at school. And so I really um, latched onto this manufacturing environment and I, and I've loved it ever since. But when the recession hit, I moved around to a defense contract because our contract was getting canceled. You know, we were part of project constellation, which was uh, Congresses were going back to the moon stab, you know, and um, that got all canceled when we were, you know, uh, when the government made some different decisions, right? And so 
I found myself not liking my job as much and I never really liked where I lived. And so I told myself, I'm going to go find, um, I'm going to pick my next job based on location and the company and less about the job itself. And so I had been to Flagstaff before, met some people, ran into a couple of engineers, and then I found out about Gore. And so I started learning about Gore and I thought, this is a company I would want to work for. Um, I always tell people that out of college, I felt like I had my dream job. I loved what I did, but I didn't necessarily like who I did it for. I didn't feel valued as, a, as an individual. And so at Gore, I actually had the kind of an opposite um, experience where when I joined Gore, it was really different. It was difficult because it wasn't the fast pace of aerospace that I had experienced, the 60 hours a week, um, the constant change. It was more like we're really invested in you as an individual and learning and growing and progressing and contributing continually and less about in the moment, how are you doing right this second? And so uh, it was a it was an adjustment for me to go from I also had started in commercial manufacturing at Gore and that was an adjustment from development. You know, going from designing something, designing a manufacturing system to really just kind of keeping it going, making procedure changes, working with non conforming product, things like that. That's just a very different mindset. Um, so I got into technical and to this field, uh, somewhat by osmosis being in, uh, <laughs> being exposed to other engineers really desiring that um, and then I really wanted to work in the private industry after having experienced what the public industry was like or the government industry was like having it change with um, elections and with you know yeah uh, yeah so well, that, yeah, social that's pressures. A perfect segue um, into the first question about where I wanted to ask you, which is tell me about the word associate. What does an associate mean at Gore? Um, so my first experience with associate was I is my first week at Gore and I needed to call um, ITAC, you know, our IT department. And I, I called them and I, and they asked me what my name was. And I was like, you at my name, don't you want to know my, like my ID number? And they're like, no, just, <laughs> and, and it was, I felt like I had hit this brick wall. I was just like, you're going along. And at my last company, I was a number. I was, that's, that's my number. Oh but my goodness. This first thing I thought I, that was my first experiences, like feeling like an associate, like I'm a person, I'm not Wow. Number. And even IT seems to care. Hey, what's your name? <laughs> and they <laughs> look me up by my name just as easy as a number. And maybe because it's a smaller company, I'm not sure. But um, the, it was that little thing that really turned me on to, oh, wow, I'm a person. I'm not a number. That's fantastic. I, I read um, that one of the definitions, or, or maybe, I don't know, the formal definition that Gore publishes of the, the associate is a trusted steward of Gore's business. And that, that aligns just exactly with what you just said. People, they, they want to know who you are. You're not just a number, you're a person that, that people trust there. Um, 
The next term, sponsor. What? Tell me about sponsor. What, what are sponsors at Gore? So sponsors, um, sponsors are everybody has a sponsor, and when you first come, you are assigned a sponsor. So you're given one your first day, and you meet them, and they're the ones who take you around to meet everybody and show you where the bathrooms are. And um, my sponsor actually really went the extra mile and helped me get to know the community as well. Like, what dentist do you go to? I was new to Flagstaff. And so where do you go grocery shopping? And they, and I wasn't asking these questions. (laughs) They were just, you know, kind of freely offering these up and they were a really good resource for getting to know the company, um, the community, and then any questions I had with my job, I could ask them about. And so they weren't they weren't responsible for my performance. Um, so it was it's a really easy conversation to hey I need help with I don't know how to look this thing up in the quality system or something. And that's kind of how a starting sponsor starts out is with those types of things, getting to know your job and how the company works. But then it really grows into development. So um, with what you want to be when you grow up, which I still say, even though I'm well in my thirties, um, I, there are still things I want to learn how to do. And so I, you have the freedom to pick your sponsor. And so, um, after the first, I think it was two or three years, um, I got a new sponsor. So you kind of break up with one sponsor. I'm looking for these other things. And so you go find a different one. And sometimes that can be an awkward conversation, but it's really okay. Everyone wants the best for you. And so, if if uh, if you feel like you're you're done with them being your sponsor and you want to move on to somebody else, that's totally fine. And the conversation usually starts out with, "What are you looking for in a sponsor? Like, what can I help you with that you think I can help you with?" Like, that's a, that's the very first conversation I tend to have with my sponsor and then the people that I sponsor, which we call sponsees. <laughs> so, got it. Okay. Um, what are you looking for in your development, and how do you think I can help you? So we're kind of on the same page. Um, and they can help find opportunities or help know what different classes to take that might help you in your development. Um, but it's really a, I found it to be really helpful. To be honest, it wasn't that different from my previous company. I had a mentor at my previous company and they served very similar. Um, so I don't know how unique I think sponsorship is pretty unique to Gore because everybody has one. I think maybe I just got lucky at my last job with having a really good mentor. Yeah, that's um, uh, I, I've uh, gone to a few different uh, churches over the years. Well, same church, but but different areas. And it's always taken me. Uh, I'm not a super gregarious person by nature. So it's probably, you know, mostly on me. But it, I, I feel like it's always taken me. I don't know, six months or up to a year to feel like I had friends in, in these new areas. And it almost seems to me like having this automatic sponsor when you start at Gore is like an automatic friend right away that, that you can, you know, ask questions and someone you can trust who will help you. That must have been so helpful, especially having moved there and, you know, not really knowing the area and not knowing any other people. It was really helpful. And we shared an office. So I could just like turn around and say, oh, hey, (laughs) I was looking for this other thing at the grocery store and I couldn't find it. Where do you where do you get your Asian food here? I (laughs) California has tons of it. Flagstaff has none. So (laughs) 
Well, let's see. Um, I, I pulled a few different quotes from, from Gore's website that I wanted to talk about a little bit. So uh, there are a, a series of them. I'll, I'll read each one, and then maybe we can have a, a short conversation about each. Um, the first one is, each of us makes commitments that help drive the business, and we work together in our lattice communications structure. In this structure, we collaborate and build connections without the constraints of traditional chains of command. So can you tell me a little bit about this lattice structure, lattice communications structure? What What is that and how does it foster effective communication? Yeah, so this actually comes really naturally to me. And as you probably have experienced for yourself, sometimes it can be hard to explain things that come naturally. <laughs> yeah. um, but the lattice is, it's basically saying you can talk to anybody at any time and ask any question and challenge in any way. Now, I tend to have a personality like that anyways. So even if there was a structure, I don't think I would do very well at it. Um, I probably went outside of it at my previous at my previous job. It was frustrating. But um, so I can ask anybody any question is really what that is. There's no. So, so you can go and ask the CEO a question. If I, you have, were to... I have emailed the CEO before. Yes. Absolutely. Really? Absolutely. Did you get a response? Yes. Yes, wow. I did. Amazing. How cool. I, um, I have, I've stopped in the office that so we have a, there's the, so Gore has, you know, these three different divisions and there's a leader for each division that uh, kind of make up this enterprise team. And I stop by our divisional leader's office. I'll stop by and say, Hey, how you doing? I'll stop by and just say hi. Um, knowing, knowing who each other are and they care about the individual. And um, so you can really ask any question at any time. I've asked, lots of questions to but we have these um these leadership roundtables where the ceo used to come and and chat with people and you could just go and ask any question you wanted that's fantastic so the the lattice communication structure is really just um uh, gore's way of telling team members that we we want you to communicate with each other we want uh we want there to be direct communication between all levels at gore and and you shouldn't have to go through you know chains of command just to to get a message up the chain so to speak yeah and if you're having a difficult time understanding something i would ask for clarification at the level that you feel like you need that clarification nice uh, I, I'm I'm very interested in flat organizational structures, and so this is just like candy to me. I'm, I'm eating all of this up. <laughs> okay. the The next thing I read was um, uh, about an individual who had uh, deeply affected Bill Gore, um, American psychologist Abraham Maslow, one of one of Bill Gore's early influences. He believed that people have a hierarchy of needs and once basic survival needs are met, humans can begin seeking their highest level, the, the desire to learn, grow, and reach their full potential. Uh, utilizing Maslow's theories, Bill set out to form an enterprise that would provide great opportunity and foster self-fulfillment. This set the foundation for the emerging beliefs and principles of the company. Uh, how, how does Gore approach the task of ensuring associates' basic survival needs are met? And is there like a definition internally for, for what this means exactly? Is it just food, clothing, and shelter? Or is there a broader definition at Gore? So I, I guess I have two answers for you. Um, 
because well one of them is more of an example because the pandemic this year this last year has actually um made us has made me think about the very specifics of food clothing housing mm. um in maslow's hierarchy so i'll tell you in general that Maslow's hierarchy serves as a backdrop to approach different situations. And so I am thinking about the associate. It it causes me to, I guess I'll stop for a second. I So I worked as an engineer for multiple years. Right now, like I'm a supply chain manager, or they call me a product operations leader. That's my name. I lead an entire product line. So I have 200... I have like 187 manufacturing associates that are like on the manufacturing floor, manufacturing product. I think I have somewhere around 20 engineers. I got quality planning, you know, I have a whole entire product line. And so as I lead these people, the backdrop in my mind is, are their needs being met? Um, because if their needs are being met, they can contribute more um, is kind of how I think about it. So I don't know that there's a broader definition within Gore it just serves as a as context as a backdrop of how we approach people and situations. Um, it isn't just about what I need as their leader. It's about making sure that they have what they need so that they so that I can get what I need. Does that make sense? Yep, that does. Okay. Now, my example with the pandemic. When the pandemic hit, you know, in manufacturing environments, it's very common for manufacturing associates to have very set hours. You come in at six, you leave at three, you have a 15 minute lunch. It's like, it's pretty regimented. Um, but toilet paper was running out. And by the time they got to the store, they couldn't get the things that they needed. And so um, I did with my team, at least I said, you know what, if you feel like you need to go get something, I want you to go get it. I don't want you to feel like your work is keeping you from your basic needs being met because it really elevated stress levels, just not. And I would bring, I even brought toilet paper to work one time for people just um, as, a, as, a, as a show of good faith, because I really, to show that I, like I care about where you're actually at. And if I have that freedom to go to the grocery store and the shelves were empty that first, you know, those first few weeks in March or April, Mm-hmm. And just relieving that stress um, helped a lot. So they had the freedom to to go do those things, uh, trusting that they would come back and um, you know make up that time or whatever it was. And it didn't actually cause as much of a disruption as I think people would have thought if we, we if we would have actually stopped and had a conversation about it. Yeah, that's fantastic. Uh, so. Uh, meeting meeting um associates basic needs is is of course critical and then uh gore also does things to foster self fulfillment which is higher up on maslow's hierarchy of needs uh, are are these objectives like meeting the basic needs and, and fostering self fulfillment are they performed in in any very structured process that one could point to and say here this is where i am in the process or is it is it less defined and a little bit more organic in nature it is less defined and more organic in nature. There are processes that you can point to, though. So um, there's an exercise that I go through with people that I lead and sponsor and that, that I have gone through with my sponsor uh, called, called the sweet spot exercise. And, you know, that is that's taking your knowledge and skills, the business need and I guess knowledge and skills are two different things. Um 
oh, an interest, I guess. And you're matching these three things, right? And um, that for me is self-fulfillment. If I'm in my sweet spot, I am using my interests, I'm using my skills, and I'm meeting a business need. Um, And so you could say that is an exercise where we're doing that thing. But when I sit down to do that exercise, I'm not usually pointing to Maslow's hierarchy of needs and saying, okay, let's get you to the top of the pyramid. (laughs) (laughs) Usually I'm saying, hey, let's try and make sure that you are feeling like you're contributing and that you feel like you're, what you're contributing is worthwhile to you as well. I want you to have a good experience with this. If you don't like what you're doing, let's find something else for you to do. Yeah. As quickly as possible. Okay. Another quote here. Uh, Bill Gore was greatly influenced by Douglas McGregor, author of The Human Side of Enterprise. The book first published in 1960 contributed to Bill's evolving thinking about management in his own fledgling company. In his book, McGregor described a revolutionary way to manage people and unleash their creative potential. Theory Y, they called it. This theory noted that individuals will perform at a higher level if they are allowed to pursue their innate abilities and interests. The fundamental beliefs expressed through Theory Y were the foundation upon which our uh, core values and principles were built. Theory Y is the antithesis of Theory X, which is the traditional authoritarian approach to management. Um, uh, so, Elizabeth, how would how would you define Theory X, the traditional authoritarian approach to management, since it sounds like your previous environment was maybe biased in that direction um, at, at uh, Pratt and Whitney, um, and, and if show maybe you could share share some real world examples of, of how the management styles differ. Yeah. So I I I feel like the best way to explain things for me is through example through different examples. Um. So I multiple times in my previous company, Theory X was employed for sure, and that exhibited itself when I would go to the manufacturing floor. Maybe my part had been reprioritized and I was now second or something. And I'm trying to work it out with the machinist. And they're saying, this is what I was told. And I'm saying, this is what I was told. And we literally could not come. We were not allowed to come to a consensus. He had to go to his manager. I had to go to my manager and our managers had to talk. Um, and I remember that being really frustrating, but that's just how it was. Um, I ex- do not experience that here. Uh, if I have, if we have some kind of disagreement, we can usually kind of, instead of turning it over to those managers, we're going to bring them into the conversation. And so then we're still figuring it out. We just have the support from um, the people that are responsible for our performance involved. And I think that that's one of the biggest differences is that you don't turn it over. You just involve more folks. <laughs> no, so I there's, there's no throwing it over the wall. You're, yeah. you're all involved collaboratively trying to figure it out. Yeah. And, that's the ideal situation, right? Now I'll tell you this gets complicated with decision making because then you bring in more people. Well, now who's the decision maker? <laughs> right. <laughs> and yeah. So How then do you we spend that? a lot of time talking. And I'll tell you, like within Gore, um, I mean, we're not perfect by any means. In fact, I did a leadership um round table with some with one of our leadership develop, development groups and I was on this panel and we had this discussion about theory why, because there are actually a lot of associates um, that are feeling like there's more theory X creeping into Gore and theory Y mm. is creeping out. And why is that? And we talked about how the pandemic has changed things. There's been more structure, I think, and more change uh, 
caused some fear and that I think has caused people to hold on and want to micromanage a little bit more. And mm. so just being aware of our environment, I think has caused people to stop and think, are we still being the company and who we want to be, who we were meant to be, who we were designed, like organized to be, or are we straying from that? So this is a conversation we have internally all the time. I'll tell you, we don't do it perfectly, but we do the best we can. I um it was really interesting to hear you say that we we talk a lot you know because in my mind uh, an engineer my linear thinking I have this fallacy that okay there's this process and as long as you follow this process A B C X Y Z things turn out well and you don't need to talk that much because you have the process to to keep you on the right path but in reality. I mean, we're all people, right? Like we're, we're not, we're not perfect as humans. And so it probably does come down to just having a lot of candid conversations. And, and there's probably no way around that. In fact, maybe I shouldn't even be using the way around it. That kind of indicates that you would want to circumvent it, but no, you, you need to expect to have a lot of human interaction communications, right? With real people. And, and that's ultimately how, how you get things worked out. And yeah, it's going to take a while. But but that's part of it. You have to go through that. Absolutely. That's that's a really, really well said. People interpret the process differently. So no matter what process you have, it can be run differently. And and I observed this as an industrial engineer doing observations on the manufacturing floor. Everyone has a process to follow. But boy, when you watch 30 people do it for eight hours, everyone does it differently. And so it's where are those opportunities to come together? Where does it matter that we do it the same? And where is it? Where is it okay for things to be done differently? Yeah. yeah. Okay. A quick break here. Share with the listeners that testfixturedesign.com is where you can learn more about how we help medical device engineering teams who need turnkey automated equipment or custom test fixtures to assemble, inspect, characterize, or perform verification or validation testing on their devices. And we're speaking with Elizabeth Millett today. I'm going to uh, give you a couple more quotes that we can talk about. So this next one um is when Bill Gore worked for DuPont, he occasionally had the opportunity to work on small task forces. Bill found that he and other employees were able to solve problems more quickly and efficiently when working in small teams. It also allowed him to get to know his fellow employees better and observe innate capabilities that were not obvious to him in a normal work environment. These observations prompted Bill to consider building an entire organization where associates were empowered to come together in small teams to get work done. So how how are teams formed at Gore? You know, how, how long do they stay together? Who decides that a new team needs to be formed? How does that work? So that's a really good question. And there is some structure and then there is some freedom. And the structure comes in, um, like the product line. So I have a, a team, a production team, and there are manufacturing associates and engineers. And um, those teams are formed, probably how most teams are formed when, a, when there's an opening, you're posting for it, people are going for that position. You might reach out to certain individuals if you if you want to. Um, there are internal hires, there's external hires, we have, but we have, a, you know, a mix, we've got, you know, college hires, experienced hires, we have a real good mix. And that's your primary commitment. Now, if we're solving a problem, let's say we're having a material issue on the floor. Let's say our PTFE, it came out of um, a thermal cycle and it looks funny. I can pull together a team. I can reach out to Cortec. I can reach out to 
um, like some different people, maybe that have the expertise, create a small team and solve that problem. Um, do some root cause analysis, figure out, you know, so, so you're part of a team, but if you want to solve problems, you have the freedom to reach out to whoever you need to reach out to to solve your problem. Now, there, we definitely encourage definition of those problems first. So, um, being put on the spot now, I probably won't remember all of them, but there is, there's a, there's a project concept form that we have. If you have, and it answers, Bill Gore had four questions and it was like, what's the purpose of the project? And I can't remember all four of them, but I, I do remember that the last one is who will you celebrate? Oh, what does success mean? Was one of them. How will you celebrate success? Because like you said at the very beginning, this is about making money and having fun doing so. And so when we solve problems, we celebrate. When we <laughs> tell, tell me more about that. How do you celebrate? Celebrating our successes is important. And I probably say it more sarcastically uh, the most often because when we get through something, I might say, oh, well, celebrate successes, <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, but uh, how do we celebrate successes? Uh, we do it with what's well, it's been really difficult with the pandemic. Generally, it's been, hey, let's get together and have lunch. That's our celebration of success. Nice. Um, nice. Maybe it's t-shirts or hats or swag of some kind, um, cool. gift cards, whatever. Just How little fun. things to show appreciation for people stepping outside because those people don't have to help necessarily, right? They've got their own commitments. That person that works maybe in, in core technology, they have a primary commitment as well. And they're stepping outside a little bit maybe to help you. Yeah, that, I, I had a question about that. So you put together this ad hoc team to help solve a problem, identify you know root root causes, whatever. And how how do you know that the people you pull into your team uh, have time to help with it, or or how how do they know that they have time? Like, do you have to uh, do you have to talk to other managers and and like get buy in? not only from the, the, the technical individual, the staff member, but also from his or her manager or sponsor or, or however that works. What does that look like? Uh, well, it depends on the complexity of the problem and how long you think it's going to take to solve. So I think the initial conversation, when somebody comes to approaches me and asks for help solving a problem, the first question I ask is, what's your time commitment? How much time do you are you going to be asking of me? And then I do some reflection and say, do I have time for this, like just with myself? And I can commit to that. Um, I can make that commitment to them. Yep, I can commit to doing 10% for three months or whatever. Um, if it becomes a problem, like with, with my leader, if, if it starts distracting from me being able to keep my primary commitments, um, then, then I might reach out to someone else's leader. Like if I'm noticing, Hey, this person, one of my engineers is spending quite a bit of time solving this other problem and they're not being their commitment. I might step in and say, Hey, you're not meeting your primary commitment. Can we have a conversation about this? I'm not opposed to you working on this, but just make sure your primary commitments are being taken care of um because you do when you make that commitment um you're bought into it it's not someone telling you what to do it's you saying i'm going to do this and so when that stops being the case when you're failing at that or when you're not meeting your commitment it's pretty easy to stop and say oh wait i'm not meeting what i already said i would do <laughs> i'm doing too much so it leads to this this particular principle can lead to being spread really thin because you have a hard time saying no, you say yes to everything. Now you can't get anything done. And I know that I've been in this, in those shoes. I know that I was like 10% on 10 teams 
which is ridiculous. You, I mean, what, what can you do with 10% of your time? And yeah, so yeah. I think there is a learning curve of learning to say no and learning to where you really can commit to and what you, what you can and cannot actually get done. Because sometimes you think you can get it done in a certain period of time and then it takes longer. Everybody, we, we sure. know about this. That that's happened once or twice to me. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it sounds like, it, at least in the beginning, uh, associates have a lot of control over their own time. If someone comes to you and says, "I would like your help uh, being on this team," it's it's kind of up to you, at least at first, to say, "Yeah, I have enough time. I can do that." You don't have to, you know, go to your leader and say, uh, "You know, Mr. and Mrs. Leader, can, can I help with this team?" You just you just say yes or no right there. Yep. And then I think it's, yeah, I think that's true. I, I have always employed the practice of giving my leaders a courtesy heads up though. Hey, you know, I got this person reached out to me. I'm going to be working on this just so you know. Um, yeah. But I think that I might do that a little bit selfishly <laughs> to be honest, because um, during it's good to, it's good for your leaders to know how you're contributing because that's how you're ranked and that's how you get paid. We have the contribution and compensation process. And so I want my leaders to know what I'm working on and where I'm doing well, because that will help me in the end. Yeah. I I don't want to hide things from them. Of course. Core value number four here at pipeline is prevent surprises. So I can fully appreciate the, uh, the utility of letting people know what's going on. Yeah. Um, let's see, are, are there specific roles in teams and, and how are those defined or is it kind of up to each team to determine how they want to work? Each team can work how they want to work. There are roles defined in as much as like process engineer is a role and it has a job description. Um, but the types of things that you might do on one team may differ from one team to the next. So, There are, we do have job descriptions that's required. (laughs) Uh, Regulatory agencies actually care about that. And so our job descriptions are actually in our product lifecycle management. They have revisions and they get revved (laughs) and um, different regulatory bodies actually care about different things. I mean, China wants to see your resume to make sure that you're qualified for the job description that you're working for. Like every regulatory body is a little bit different. So we absolutely have job descriptions and roles, but um, there aren't really sharp lines. So we have process engineers and quality engineers. As an example, quality engineers are focused more on maybe test methods, designing test methods, executing, doing more sampling plans. Um, and a process engineer might be more ki- more focused on um, equipment, maybe equipment validations. Um, or the process itself and less about like the quality testing to release the product. But there's not, there aren't any like really strict lines. So if there's, let's say a non-conformance, like an NCR of some kind, who picks it up? It's not going to be like, Oh, only the QEs work on non-conformances because it has to do with quality. There's not like a fine line. We encourage people to work across lines um, and, and expose themselves to what they get exposure to things that they've, they're interested in, in doing. I see. Okay. Well, Vive Gore was quoted as saying, I think one of the most important things to me, and it was to Bill, is to bet on a person and you trust that person and you believe in them. And if you do that, I don't see how you cannot be successful. 
so uh, again, contrasting your experience at Gore with previous work environments, how how does the organization trust individuals in a way that that you might not see at other companies? And uh, you know, if you have specific examples or stories to share, that would be awesome as well. This is a good question. I I can think about how the performance process goes and how that was different. So at Rockadine, I worked for Pratt and Whitney Rockadine, and my you had a performance review every year, and you had annual goals. And I remember my first one with my new manager. She came in and she had them all listed out. Like these are the your goals for the year. And every manufacturing engineer actually had the same goals. Whether you had been here for 40 years or you were here for one year, you had the same goals. And um, I remember asking her, is this a conversation or is am I just supposed to take this? Like, is we, can we have a back and forth? And she just, she just said, no, like these are the goals. And I thought, this is just the weirdest thing because I get paid way less. We apparently all have the same goals. We're all doing the same thing. And I... I didn't feel trusted. I just felt like this is, I'm just being kind of told what to do. Like you don't really care about what I have to offer. And I think um, the performance and development process that we have at Gore is, is quite a bit different. It's definitely a conversation. Your team probably has priorities and goals of what it's trying to accomplish over the next year. Maybe you're launching in a new region and you need to ramp your product. That's And, and everyone's aligned to that. But where you contribute to that is a conversation. Okay, where, how can I use your strengths and what you're really good at, what you're really interested in to accomplish that goal? And I'm going to trust you that you have those skills and abilities and give you that opportunity to succeed there and to show me. So I think that it lets people set their own bar to some extent, which really helps people, in my opinion, rise to the occasion. If If you really feel like you have those skills, I have to, I'm going to, I'm going to trust you. Now, if um, I will say that, I mean, with maybe just being human, if someone says they can do something and they fail once and then they say they can do it again, I probably won't, I'll probably have that, uh, that conversation a little bit differently. If we're going through, hey, you're really struggling to actually get that thing done and you keep saying you can do it, but I'm not really seeing that. Um, <laughs> right. I think it drives a lot of frank conversations, direct conversations. And um, my experience has been that people really appreciate a direct conversation as opposed to a beat around the bush and being really fluffy with something. Um, Working well together in team environments requires uh, mutual trust and respect of the team uh, members. And, And Gore encourages its associates to build and maintain these relationships. Are there any specific tools that Gore uses to encourage building and and maintaining these team relationships? So I kind of chuckle when you ask that question because it makes me think of moving to Flagstaff from Los Angeles, where where LA is this huge place. You know, it is it's ginormous. So you, I commuted forty minutes in. I didn't live near anybody that I worked with, and I moved to Flagstaff. And you're kind of in this remote area. You can basically drive two hours in any direction, and not get anywhere. (laughs) (laughs) And so, I I was going to joke and say, I mean, I guess Gore has employed that by putting themselves in a remote location. So <laughs> you, you're forced to get to know people. You're forced to get to know people. Um, uh, 
I mean, I have like, I've been sick on days and I've had to go to the grocery store to get something for being sick and I will run into another associate. <laughs> I'm oh, just wow. like, I just wish that I could not run into somebody that I work with sometimes, but it's a pretty <laughs> small town and a, and it's a pretty big employer. So you end yeah. up, uh, so I kind of jokingly say that, but that's a very real thing in Flagstaff. I guess I would have to talk to the, the folks in Phoenix or in, um, or back east because to be honest my team they spend a lot of time at work together but they also spend time outside of work together they play ultimate frisbee they're soccer teams oh interesting um with the pandemic our team just started doing game nights virtual game nights and so like friday i think they have one next friday um where we get online and we all play a game together and it's outside of work time and so we're getting to know each other so that's it fosters that that uh that collaboration and that friendship and i'll tell you i just one more quick example <clears throat> i joined a team and i actually had a difficult time with a couple of people and i remember taking the approach of i need to get to know them as people because I've, i'm having a really tough time working with them and so i started spending some outside work time with them I got to know them as people gained that mutual respect and it really helped our working relationship. That's a fantastic example. Uh, I'm sure that wasn't easy, right? In the beginning, like if you're having trouble working with someone, the last thing you probably want to do is spend more time with them, especially outside of work. But to to be able to do that and then to see, okay, I, I start to understand who they are as people. I kind of get why, you know, certain behaviors or this or that. Um, that's That's fantastic. And I think it speaks to the culture that Gore has developed there, which, um, I mean, from all accounts, truly is an amazing place to work. I I was curious, do you think that there are are any um, personality types that would not work well or would not enjoy the the work environment at at Gore? Yeah. So so I've been here for 10 years. Um, If you require a lot of direction, Mm. Um, you don't do as well because whenever we have this conversation a lot, it is, it is okay to give direction. And I, um, we have a class actually that's called situational leadership and it matches um, the situation, how you lead in each by situation and where a person might be at um, at a certain skill level on a task, on a specific task. And there's different dimensions in there and you can absolutely give direction, (laughs) but it is interpreted very often that when I'm giving direction, I feel like I'm micromanaging and that feels bad in the culture. And so we feel bad doing it. And so it's something that we struggle with. And so if you require a lot of direction, um, I think you struggle. The other turnover that I've seen is ones that really want to get something like make a really big change quickly. We struggle with moving things quickly. Okay. And I think that's partially due to regulatory environments, but the listeners to this podcast are also in medical and they are probably also in a regulated environment. Right. Um, but I would say we make, I mean, most of what we make are class three medical devices and that's a different bar um, than maybe a 510k or or something over the counter, you know. So the the regulations are a little bit different, 
But I think it's also because of how we make decisions. Um, we do tend to bring more people in and then we have a really hard time moving forward. You can imagine how that might go if you have, you know, if you have 10 people in a room, you have a hundred opinions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You start to have, uh, you need to have conversations about how you have conversations and yeah. it just takes a while. Yeah. Wait, what are we doing here? What? Yeah. What's the purpose of this meeting? <laughs> <laughs> well, another another area I wanted to talk to you about is um, something else that's unique to to um, uh, Gore's process is is how associates are compensated. And you you mentioned this a little bit uh, in passing earlier. Uh, I, I imagine this process doesn't govern all of an associate's compensation, but at least a part of it is influenced by feedback from other associates. Mm -hmm. And the idea being that team members are working directly with the associate. Um, those team members will have a more nuanced understanding of how that particular associate contributed to the overall success of the enterprise, um, as opposed to, you know, just, just the manager or, or the, the leader or someone up. Um, how have you observed this strategy to, to influence teamwork in interactions between associates as, as well as the overall you know, company health and success? Well, um, so our compensation process has evolved a little bit over time. So it used to be that um, you're on a list and your list is who's on your team, who's on your primary commitment team. Um, and that's who was ranking you is, is was just that list. So if there's 20 people on the list, you're ranking 20 people. And you're ranked against, you know, 19 other people. Um, now, the way that it's evolved just over the last couple of years is now you can actually pick uh, who ranks you. you they're, they're your inputters, we call them. And actually, we're going through this process right now. So I nominate inputters and they're put into the system. So I'm actually going to get feedback from people that I want to get feedback from, not just my team. And this, this has helped, I think, with getting input from some of those smaller teams that maybe they've been working on a divisional project. Maybe there's a Kappa of some kind, some kind of corrective action, a divisional corrective action that, that they're working on, but maybe their team doesn't know that, but now they can get that input from other people. So we're trying to, I think, evolve it to make sure that we're getting all the angles. Now there are review committees and whatnot. Your leadership team uh, reviews all that data to make sure that it doesn't look skewed or kind of weird does this does this kind of make sense you definitely do a gut check and you still go through contribution highlight forms and things like that people will fill out you you have the opportunity or option to fill out um a form that says these were my contributions um and this was the impact to the enterprise um with that contribution got it got it um so i think that it fosters I think it fosters within team, but I think what we're trying to do, I think that that has been pretty good. I think what we're trying to do now is like really bring in the whole, the, the whole picture. All right. Uh, I've got just one or one more question for you. One more question here. It's about the leadership at Gore and how do associates move into leadership positions? And, and also, can you talk a little bit about what followership is? Yeah. Um, this is kind of a funny question because I'm reading a, was it a book or was it a podcast? I was listening to, it was a podcast I was listening to actually about leadership. I, I 
I eat, drink, and sleep leadership books. I love um, self-improvement. <laughs> I'm just like, I want to be a better leader. Um, and so I was actually, it was, I was listening to a podcast about this recently. And so um, leaders at Gore, I mean, my first leadership opportunity, I was actually asked to do. Uh, somebody approached me and said, we'd like, we'd like you to lead this team. That was my first like lead engineer. And, and I actually didn't want to do it. I didn't think I had leadership abilities. Um, and I thought I had a lot of conversations with my sponsor and some other people that I kind of trusted, you know, is this a good move for me? Am I doing the right thing? Um, and so I tried it. I learned a lot about myself. Um, and then for me, I actually wanted to be an individual contributor for a little bit longer. So I stepped out of leadership for a couple of years and then went back to it because I felt like I really wanted to round out um, some of myself, some of my own experience. I didn't feel like I had enough experience to lead because I hadn't done enough <laughs> or experienced enough. That's That was me personally. Um, so uh, I was actually asked to, but for the most part, we identify we have like a leadership landscape. Uh, every team, I think, kind of does this a little bit differently. But I try with my team to have a – there's not like a structured process. I think actually we're trying to create a structured process divisionally for doing leadership landscapes, identifying leaders early and um, building their capabilities, their leadership abilities um, through these different classes. I actually think that our internal classes that we've had our uh, talent talent development team has created curriculum around leadership development a couple of different times. And every time I've been through it, I've learned something new. And I think it's been really great for me as a leader. And um, so you can identify yourself and say, I would like to be a leader, but you also become identified if you have those capabilities. Um, and then you can choose to go that path or not. I mean, I I have come across folks where they have, they're natural leaders. And I think that Gore has an easy time picking them out. You can kind of see, wow, everyone kind of listens to that person. I think that they've got some natural leadership abilities. Let's foster those abilities and give them opportunities and see how they do. Some people don't want those opportunities. I, I have been people's leaders where I have identified them. I'm like, you do a really great job. You know, you have this natural leadership. And I've had one associate say, actually, I'm not interested in doing that. <laughs> I don't want to do <laughs> drama. I just want to be able to do my job. Um, and so, and that's okay. There's no hard feelings. I just want to make sure that you know that I see that as your leader and that that opportunity is there for you if you choose to take it. And how about followership? What does that mean? Followership is, are people following you? Are people following your lead? Um, we actually do followership assessments. Um, I've actually never done one for somebody. I've only had them done for me. So I guess I don't know how they, I only get the results. I don't know how they're actually run. Um, but you, you ask certain, you ask different questions. I'm sure it's a survey of some kind that goes out and there's different questions asked to gauge, um, followership and followership can be gauged by trust in that individual, um, by your opinion of the decisions that they're making, um, how you feel like they're leading you and how you're experiencing them as a leader. Um, so there's definitely followership is, is a big deal. It's really hard to lead if you don't have followers. So that's, it, it's a way of the team being able to provide feedback to the leader. Absolutely. Yes. 
Got it. Very cool. Yes. Okay. Well, Elizabeth, we are about at time here, and this has been just a fascinating conversation. I am so grateful that that uh, you agreed to spend some time talking about this with me. Um, before I let you go, how how can people get a hold of you? Um, you can find me on LinkedIn. Message me on LinkedIn, and I'd be happy to respond. I uh, love talking engineering. This is great. Thanks for Excellent. having me. You're so welcome, and thank you again. I'm Aaron Moncur, founder of Pipeline Design and Engineering. If you liked what you heard today, please leave us a positive review. It really helps other people find the show. To learn how your engineering team can leverage our team's expertise in developing turnkey custom test fixtures, automated equipment, and product design, visit us at testfixturedesign.com. Thanks for listening.